Hi folks and welcome back to Reload Podcast. My name is Connor McCann and with me as always is Lee Maxwell and Nigel Lamont. So today we've got another good episode for you. Nigel's going to regale us with tales of Art and Senna. We're going to cover the previous event we just done which was Titanic Dubs and with a few news stories and listeners questions as well. So as always we'll kick it off with what's new with ourselves. So guys what's new? Well we have plenty of stuff going on at home. Um, we've got the garage build now underway. So Exciting the, times. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's, a, there's a big, massive digger sitting in our backyard at the minute, although Connor and Forrest Mate actually is not that big of a digger, but it's pretty big to me. Do you not, <laughs> do you not go out and jump in it every so often? Ah, uh, yeah, he locks it. Now, I know that all <laughs> the keys are all the same for them, so it wouldn't be hard to get into it. But uh, it's he called only, a screwdriver, Connor. Yeah, he lives a mile up the road, so he, he's going to know. Yeah, it's a 13 ton Hitachi in the back garden and it makes me happy. Sir. So unfortunately, he's been flat out all week. He's been doing sort of 8 to 8 and making good progress. And then the weather kind of came in bad there on Thursday and it rained all day. And now it's just like a swamp. Um, yeah, there I'm, was a big hole and now it's a big swimming pool. I'm tramping about it yesterday like Shrek and it just wasn't going well. So hopefully I think he's coming back today and then the start of next week's giving good as well. So with anything, we'll get on. Cool. Although I did, I was talking to a few people about it and Chuck from Revival, I was sending him a video showing what was done and he did his last year, I think it was, and his problem wasn't the wet. He broke out solid rock to build that garage. Holy shit. Yeah. He sent me photos of him. He was like, here's your boy with some rocks. And I was like, that's a lot of rocks. <laughs> that's, I don't envy him for that. We've thankfully avoided rock. We live between two quarries, which I was... um. <laughs> Uh, to put it politely my ass was like chewing the seat when i was like <laughs> he's gonna break ground here and we're gonna hit rock and i'm just gonna be out of all my money so just when you talk about breaking ground with rock andy maxwell one of the listeners there um his his work used to be beside and they've moved across the road now but it used to be beside a building site okay and carried off there and the site was on a rock bed oh no morning noon and night just, just rock breaking rock breaking oh. is it weird that i like the sound of it I did a yeah, like a little bit for like occasionally, but not constant, constant, constant. We did a road job. We were putting a pipeline in for four kilometers, laying a bit of pipe, as Stefan would say. <laughs> sure. And um, <laughs> we hit rock, and I just I don't know what it is about the sound. I'm going just. It's like that's class, comforting. It is. Yeah, I don't know why. I was listening to a podcast this week. Do you remember the song "Hit the Diff"? Yes, unfortunately, a comedian from down south had him on, right? Because he had critiqued the song. Okay. A comedian and it done it funny and Marty Moon loved it. Okay. And he came on and he actually came across really, really well. Just completely off topic here. But uh he was talking about the whole driving culture, the farming culture and all the rest of it. He was saying that one of his friends who used to do refrigerating lorry driving all the time. Yep. Big time. When he went home at night, he had to get a recording of a refrigerator playing so he could go to sleep at night because <laughs> he was not used to the fridge. <laughs> Yeah, that's... sorry. It took a while to get took a while to get there in that story, but you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe I could try that. <laughs> Rock breaking's greatest hits. So... Some people sit at night listening to Wheels, Connors, Rockhammer. Rock <laughs> it's good though. The Rockhammer's good when you're not paying for it. That's the beauty of it. What else have you been up to? So yeah, that's um, to go back to that. So because the garage is underway, we were uh, moving some of the cars and stuff around as we talked about the last time, um, and the Jetta was supposed to be going to see our friend Ben who was going to set up the carbs and stuff for yep. me. Sure, Ben Lawrence. He started doing that now as full-time business. iTunes. Yep. 
that was supposed to happen, but about two days before it was supposed to go to Ben, we pulled it out of the garage and thought we better just check it out, free up the brakes and so on, because it'd been lined up and we knew there was a slight fuel leak, but we thought it was just a Jubilee clip or something, so we thought we'd sort that out. Um, got under the car, rather Connor got under the car because I didn't want to lie on the tarmac. In the wet. <laughs> in the wet. Such chivalry. That's it. I was <laughs> going to lie down, let Lee lay on top no, of me no, like a blanket. La- no, no, my lady, let me do it. <laughs> um, and it turns out one of the, the hoses was pretty rotten. It was kind of an old, kind of fabric-y type yeah. hose. So Fairly standard. Yeah, um, it wasn't hard to replace. That was grand, so we got that sorted. And uh, But unfortunately, the back brakes are just fucked, basically. Yeah. So the handbrake was sticking on one side and the brake just wasn't really working at all Are on the other drum? side. They drums or yeah, did you convert so it's the cylinders, drum. I think. It will get converted at some point. So, of course, I had to order new cylinders, but it took like three days or something for them to arrive. So we missed Ben and then it's still sitting in the driveway with no or rear brakes because it's just sitting there <laughs> yeah one one wheel cylinder changed like a gift it was fine and i was like yeah this is going too well the other side's going to be bad of and course. it got really bad because we took the fitting out of the brake line like off the back of the cylinder and it broke the line it just had binded together and it was like yeah that's bad so that's gonna be fun it snapped the blade nipple releasing it and then the two bolts that hold the cylinder in someone had happened before and had been sort of mangled as I tried then to get on at them to do anything more with them, it just wrung them out completely. So, yeah, they're only drilled Bad out times. now. Yeah, so fun, fun, fun. Yep. At least we're not in the deadline, though, so it's okay. Yeah, that's true. What yes, about yourself, Nigel? That's what I say about my edition one. I'm not in the deadline 12 years later. Ah, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> 12 years. Oh, I'm only 11 on the polo. It makes me feel better. <laughs> Everybody reacts to you, but they don't say anything to me. It's good. I'm happy. I know I get constant abuse. It's awful. <laughs> Myself, uh, the last episode, I was talking about purchasing a new set of RSs, and I talked about possibly making a road trip. Well, it was definitely going to be a road trip in November. It's down in Colchester, southeast England. I wouldn't was, have a clue. I uh, didn't trust the courier, neither did the seller, so would, he agreed to store them until such time I could get them lifted. And like Superman coming out of the sky to save the day, John Moog. A loyal listener messaged me and he's, he does a bit of work in England, Scotland and Ireland traveling about doing different stuff and he said he was in the area-ish. Um, he was in north, north, northwest London I think he was so he kindly popped across, lifted them and I had them picked, uh, picked up and I went and collected them yesterday morning. The power of the podcast. Oh, for goodness sake. I like it. Quite your <laughs> nonsense. Quite your nonsense. That's great though. Yeah. Fair play to him, yeah. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And a big shout out to John. I really, really appreciate it. And uh lot be forgotten. He was com- compensated with alcohol. Yes. That's the only way to compensate people with Exactly. Really, you know. I agree. Um, <laughs> you know, they tried to pay the nurses with claps on a Thursday night, but if they'd been rolling around a few bottles of Jack yeah, Daniels or something, think, they'd think been <laughs> <laughs> So uh got them home and done a wee trial fit this morning you just got to see it so have to say they're looking well yeah yeah i like them so yeah i mean even i think they look quite good and you know me and our asses i know you're weird <laughs> just a few wee tweaks here and there i think needed but apart from that no they look so good on they? all good um nothing else really newsy but would do you want to roll into titanic dubs yeah the first event properly well first car show of the year i would say here in this country anyway yeah, uh, yeah. Well, in the north anyway, and it went well. We made it happen, guys. Yeah, 
I was yourself, Colin and Gethin were the, the brains behind that and did phenomenally on it. We well, just... Gethin done the, a lot of the work in this. Um, it uh, took a lot of work and he sorted it out. Someone, I think someone had said in RMS that tied you and I and thanked us for it and I just commented. I was like, I didn't turn. I just turned up and talked to people. I <laughs> handed a few things out. I can't take any praise for that. Yes. But no, it was such a great day and the weather was unbelievable. Yeah, I couldn't ask for a better day. Um, we had to do temperature checks at the entrance, uh, hand sanitizing station, one-way system in the cafe. We employed event sec to do um, crowd monitoring and such. Yeah, Lee and I were up in the front gate handing out the, is it the track and trace track, I just forgot about the track and trace. Yeah. So then if I did go down, we could trace make, you down. be accountable as hunt, such. Hunt you down. I think a lot of people were impressed with the setup. And I think it's maybe made a few people, maybe outside the car um, events industry, go right. This can be done. This can be done. Um, so hopefully it's a good uh, omen or a good... And like, no matter what you think of this, what's going on at the minute, there's no change in it. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, the government legislation, you can say what you want about it, but you have to adhere to it. And one thing about it was people were generally keeping their distance, you know. Yeah. And I think it's kind of become second nature just to be standing talking to somebody and just take that extra step back. And at one point there was the Harbour Police come down to us, Lee, do you remember? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I just want to roll through. And I don't think he was there maybe 20 minutes and he was away again and we're happy. So. They actually, they were there a couple of times, but um, actually, no, one of them just threw me on work. And uh, they actually complimented us. And they they know when we're, she actually said when, when we, GTA and I, are having an event, they know it's going to be a well-run event and there's yeah. going to be very little hassle. And that only comes from experience. That's the thing of doing, yeah. as we were saying before. Yeah. So, but uh, no, it was a great day. Um, yeah, good numbers. Um, everybody enjoyed us themselves. Feedback was good and uh, nice standard of cars came considering it was launched. What or was, it was announced like a week before the show. Yeah, most people weren't expecting anything this year. So. We were waiting for a big announcement the week of the show just to shut things down. Uh-huh. Just, I see you couldn't release it too much ahead. And we're just waiting for confirmation from different people in there, but everybody was fine with it. The senior mm-hmm. assess, health and safety assessment, they were fine with it. And uh, the one thing that we had to do at the end instead of a gathering of praise given we had to individually give out the prizes yeah so the next day then online we put out who won what but a bit of disappointing that way but it is what it is and the prizes as always were fantastic yeah uh, brand big, short shift big shout out to brand short shift um another titanic themed trophy yeah anyone who wasn't there it was a car of the show and spirit of the dock was like a miniature titanic yep. with the the, like the smoke stacks on it and the stacks were made out of brass ignit yeah they were, so. and they were heavy let me tell yeah, you <laughs> they were they're like a wee pipe bomb yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the individual like top tens were just individual stacks Generally, in as well yeah, yeah. they're so good they look really cool brand never does a point and knocks it out of the bar credit themselves and yeah give him a shout at the short shift on instagram or facebook he's a hell of a guy and if you ever need him give him a shout it was actually good as well. We met a few of the listeners. I don't know if you did, Nigel, but Lee and I definitely did. We met ones that we had met before and have known for years, and then we met a few that we'd, we hadn't met before. It was Amador Leary, Kieran Gunn, and a guy you actually know, Paddy R, big yeah. guy with a beard. Yeah. I known him through RMS, but I didn't know he listened or anything, so no, it's good meeting people like that. Good few listeners the other day, so it was good to see you guys. Also at a weird moment where someone recognised our voice and come up <laughs> and say, yeah, we were listening to you come really up the road. Strange. I was like, <laughs> I recognise your voice. I'm either going to go full Kanye, put the sunglasses on and walk around like you're in the show, <laughs> or I'm just going to jump into the sea here because sure. this is weird. You're going to have your new sneaker rinse in there, are Oh you? yeah. Keezies. <laughs> <laughs> or Wheezies. Because <laughs> I'm so out of shape. Just on the topic of shows, um, 
this weekend we're recording Saturday. What day is it? Twenty sixth. Some sort of date, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But um, as of this weekend, we're recording. The recording's not out the Wednesday. But uh, in Poland, a show is going ahead on a full scale. Is that- it formerly known as racism? Um, they changed their name for obvious reasons. Come on, they changed it to ultra race. Ultra race. They may as well call it master race. Yes, it was. It's, the youth, <laughs> it's, it's, it's now not racist. It's just the youth wing of Hitler Youth. I like it. He's moved into Poland. He's setting up base again. Um, so they've changed their name and they delay. They they postponed. I think they were meant to be in June or something. Yeah, it's usually earlier in the year. And they're going ahead. And I've seen some social media from it. And it's. I don't think there's mask wearing. There's nothing. I think the police have just give a firm finger up to COVID. Maybe that's what Fair it needs. Play. Fair Maybe play. Like, go away, COVID. We don't want to hear. Yeah. I forgot to mention my favorite bit about Titanic dubs, which was that there was a bar. There was a bar. <laughs> How could we forget that? I remember going out near the end and everybody had drinks. And I was sitting there going, ah, oh, class. I forgot because the owner of the, the cafe now is Peter Lowry. Uh, he has a few bars and he's opened a small bar at the cafe. Or they sell beer and ready. They do. Very, very fine vintage. I had a pint of that. So at one point in the day, they were, were sitting at a picnic table. We I were. Went over and uh, <laughs> Lee was very happy. Lee was very right. giggly. I was, for sure. And she drank a full bottle of Prosecco. I, I went over and says, are you all having fun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I asked, what were the prices like? And it was like five pound of pint or something like that there. And then Lee interjected and went, yeah, it was, a, it was seven pound for a glass of wine. So... Then they told me it was fifteen pound for a bottle of prosecco. So guess what I done? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was Lee, great. Lee had a very good I show a, day. I had a lovely day. Yeah. What um, time? What time do you talk around at, Connor? About six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Snoozing going down the road. <laughs> I definitely felt it though, like drinking at that time of the day, and I drank a whole bottle in about twenty minutes. Well, like, I'll, so. have you, I'll have you know, with new restrictions, <laughs> the government actually has promoted that sort of thing. Yeah. So you were doing your civic duty drink that day. Up earlier. Lee was this. Lee was the safest person there because COVID doesn't get you if you drink or if you drink or eat. Yeah. So it was all good. Goes out stalking people at one minute past ten as well. Oh, of course. <laughs> Lee's there with Prosecco and she's like, no, get away. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. No, the, we were walking around. We had, as always, we try to go around and do some judging or do whatever we're supposed to be doing at the show. And uh, of course, we never, we can never get round the damn place because Connor keeps stopping to talk to literally you, everyone. You wouldn't talk to somebody, Connor. Would I you? actually said on the car on the way up, I was like, I'm going to talk to so many people today because I haven't been talking to anybody in nearly a year. <laughs> Just bouncing up and down, going, yay! <laughs> well, we were trying to do the judging, and Patty was with us, and uh, we were trying to get a whole, a full loop done. It took us the whole day. We walked around that place once. We got the one whole loop. day. We got one lap done. I walked around and giving out car of the show. That was the only time I could round it. <laughs> the joys have been busy. But the guy from the bar was going round everybody to just let them know that there was a bar and what the yeah. prices and stuff were. And as soon as he was uh, talking about the Prosecco and stuff, I was like, cha-ching. But then I was like, it's kind of a weird thing to promote at a car show. Yeah. But then again. If you're not driving, why not? Yeah, it was yeah. grand. No, it's definitely... Yeah, so very enjoyable. Best day ever. <laughs> so Best car show ever. <laughs> on the topic of uh, events in this country, Nigel, do you want to tell us about the next one coming up then, which is next weekend? Yeah, uh, as of right now, it's Saturday. We launched the tickets for Driven 2.0. We launched it at 8 o'clock last night and it sold out two hours later. Yep. 
Some so if you want to go, if you want to go, I'm afraid and crash the reload site. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, sort of crashed it temporarily. But um, thank you so so much for the response. Um, tickets were online through the website, and just overwhelmed by the response. People must like the event, so that's good. We are having it Saturday, third October, and we're doing a semi North Coast run. Um, we're doing the usual charity fundraising. This time it's for Click Sergeant. It's a leukemia children cancer fund so we'll be doing raffle prizes on the day and having fun and driving cars getting out and meeting people yeah yeah so socially distanced of course always so, so those who have entered i look forward to seeing you and yeah. yeah there should be a nice range of cars coming as well now from what i've seen there's a few names yeah, that have cropped a, up it's i don't uh, want to give away no, too much in case something doesn't happen but serious cars entered yeah there'll be sure. some nice stuff so, so it'll be good to see everybody and meet new people as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, this will go out on the Wednesday. Just if anybody on here wants to maybe donate a prize, the a raffle prize to raise some money for charity, give us a shout. Um, it'll be much appreciated. We've got a few prizes already, but the more the merrier, as they say. Yep, and we'll give always. you a shout on our social medias and uh, be very grateful. So moving on then, Nigel, you have a few a few details for YouTube stuff. Yes, this has been a very busy week or two for local YouTube content. It's on the ramp up. Northern Ireland's finally catching up. Is I've been saying it for ages, but local guys need to get um, content online to represent. So, first of all, uh, shout out to Colin from Reload. He has started uploading. We have, Reload now have their own YouTube channel. There's basically some uh, GoPro footage from firstly Titanic dubs and from uh, the first Driven Run. Um, so we hope to build the channel and get a bit more content on it and improve on it. Yeah, the more shows there is as well and runs yep. out, the more Colin will upload on that too, which yep. would be good to see. But uh, just move on to three channels I've been sort of watching the past week or two. And the first of them is from John Bill and James Myers. They have a channel now on the social media. It's called Six Mile Style. They're JDM focused, but um, I know that John has a, a vague background anyway. Um, he now drives a GT86 that's slammed on the floor. He does a bit of drifting, um, goes to different shows. So give them a shout on social medias and YouTube. Um, it's quite good uh, to is, see. Is that 86? Is that supercharged, that one? I have no idea. If it is, if it is, I do know who you mean. Now. Red. Seen a, it's yeah, red. I think it is the one I'm thinking of. So, I like uh, those cars. Yeah. Um, so they've started a YouTube channel. Also, we have Kirsten, Audi Queen. Yeah, Kirkpatrick Cars. Yeah. Listener of ours. Her YouTube channel, Kirkpatrick Cars, it's, I think she launched it about a month ago. Yeah, and around the time of the original Driven Run, she started to upload more stuff, yeah, I think. Yeah. So she's from the Kingdom of Morn, and she has a few videos out. So give her a follow. And then last but not least is Ross from Night Shift Industries. Yeah. Uh, he's doing a bit of content. He properly launched it this week now. So he has a Mark 1 Caddy that he's doing a 20 valve conversion on. And he also has a Daily Mark 3 Caddy. He has his own clothing brand and accessories brand there. So hit them up too. Yeah, no, it's good to see local people doing more stuff. Um, I think even with ourselves with this podcast, there was a lot of podcasts and stuff going on all over the world before Northern Ireland kind of kicks it and goes, maybe we should do something like this. Yeah. But... Usually when you do, it's pretty good. 
It's, no, it's, it's, good, it's, great to, it's great to see them guys doing that sort but of the stuff. More people doing it, it's great. Yeah, yeah more content and out there. They can only get better as they do it. So, uh, yeah, give them a shout out and get get them a follow, click, subscribe, like all that jazz. Yeah. Going a bit further than here, then uh, on YouTube we have Juicebox. If anybody's been following Juicebox, Neil Shehan, who is the basically the head guy in the Juicebox channel, top, top juice. Top juice. Huh? <laughs> he has had a series of his restoration of his A86 uh, Treno. Uh, Not your thing, is it? Could be. Is it pop up lights? Pop up lights, twin cam, basically. <laughs> um, so he got a supercharged <laughs> one off his mate that was lying on a shock, basically, and he has been restoring it. There's probably about seven hours of welding. Um, but now we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It actually went into the body shop this week. Very nice. It's exciting times you've been following that channel. And as always, they are funny, funny men. The antics they get up to, mixed with the complete JDM encyclopedic knowledge, it's very, very good. Yeah, it's nice. I sort of dip my toe in out of the Jap scene. I know you don't really, Nigel, or you, well, you, you are a no, secret I, Jap I, fan. I, I dip my toes now. I enjoy it. But so. it's nice to see stuff that you don't necessarily know everything about that you're learning yep. about, you know, where some of the Volkswagen content, you know, you only know what's coming or yep. you know what it is. At least with that, you're kind of watching. I watched a one-hour rebuild of a Toyota Celica gearbox once on YouTube from the... Uh, project binky guys binky, uh, because nerd. It, yeah because it never seen one new so it, it is good to see i think some people look at stuff like that and go the opposite direction go okay i wouldn't be interested in that you know it's yeah. not my thing but sometimes it is good to see something different and learn from it no it's it's a great channel juice box so give it a shout that's basically my youtube roundup excellent so we move on to the news then let's go Lee, do you want to kick us off uh i can do so this story came up on my newsfeed this week and I immediately thought of Connor when I saw it. So it's Brembo have released um, new brake discs. And I am excited. Connor is excited. But they have a like a mirror shine finish. Apparently it doesn't corrode. It doesn't become non-mirrory. It's just mirror the whole way down or something. So they're made of... Um, Something called HVOF, high velocity oxy fuel. It's been developing a spaceship. Pretty much. It's made of, it's made of uh, like a tungsten alloy. They don't wear out, basically. I think that they're saying they're expecting to get something like 93,000 miles to a set or something. So I think they're designed for EV cars and stuff because non corrosion. Yeah, you're not breaking as much with an EV as more just letting off the throttle and the, well, the, the motor brakes as opposed to, you know, Slowing you down so you're not actually touching the brakes that often to take the corrosion off the discs. So that's why these anti-corrosion discs have been developed. So they're called green-tiv discs. I hate that name. Yeah, it's a really stupid word. It's a mixture of green and initiative. And they went with green-tiv. Green-tiv. Wow. Yeah, well done, Brembo. That's just awkward. Didn't talk to the PR team that But apparently the, the Brembo logo on them is the wear indicator, which I think is quite cool. And... Uh, yeah, they are bling bling. So expect to see those dropping on the show scene. They'll be a million pounds a disc, I would say. But I'll have them on the Mark Three. <laughs> I'm seeing them in America on the gangster machines with spinners. Instead of buying thirties, thirty yeah. inch wheels, you buy thirty inch rotors. Yeah. Oh, that's that's me all over. I love massive bricks. <laughs> I swear to God, it's so good. But they Kyle would... Jackson's ordered his already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in there, Kyle. <laughs> I think to be fair, they they would be nice on you know something that has quite an open spoke. Yeah, that's like one a, thing that sometimes lets a really high end car down is just kind of rusty brakes, and there's not really anything you can do about it. No, because you don't want to clean your brakes, is it really? Porsche using but, them as well. I think it's kind of an alternative to the ceramic 
bricks as well. You know, these are going to be hard wearing, low friction or like low uh, brick dust give out from them as well. So low fallout. They're, that would be good, actually. Yeah, I might. I, yeah, I'm see? considering investing in a set more and more. I fucking hate brick dust. I know, and it eats wheels. Like it's yeah. just so so bad. The AP the AP bricks I used to have them in Mark Five. Brick dust off them was ferocious. I bet you they bricked well though, did they? They did, yes. But yeah, it's the upkeep but of them as a I killer. sold them to Bert and he now has them on his daily driver Mark V. So what you're saying is they're Bert's problem? Yes. But I knew nothing about that, Bert. I sold them and regret it honestly. Bert, I hate you. <laughs> I hate this why I don't sell anything. It's awful. I regret. People have buyer's remorse. I have seller's remorse. <laughs> well, what have you got first, Nigel? For news, I have just one piece and it's basically about... Um, the story this week that was breaking was about gar turbos. So 2020 has been an ugly year for the auto industry and back extension is fast supply chain. Tumbling car sales in turn mean reduced demand for brake pads, tires, and as Garrett Motion Incorporated has found turbochargers. Indeed, the famed compressor manufacturer has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, citing a combination of plunging sales and financial burdens Honeywell International offloaded onto Garrett before the company's spin-off. So basically the parent company has shafted them. Good luck, boys. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. Um, yeah, the failing auto industry or a vast reduction in it anyway is definitely going to have a knock on the supply chains. Like, and yeah. it's one of them. The only other thing is you kind of look and see maybe who you got out there. You've um, IHI and uh, Precision. Precision. You Wuhan will the, Whirly Boys. Wuhan Whirly Boys. They'll step up and <laughs> fill the gap. Yeah. <laughs> Wish Wish Bang Bang Incorporated. I reckon Wuhan Whirly Boys have uh, they've manufactured this entire pandemic just for this. Yeah, just to bring down Garrett. I L- think that was the plan all Lee, along. Lee's not safe. She'll be killed on the way home. I know too much. So uh, Just so we're clear, you're not suicidal as you drive home today. I'm driving, don't worry. You know the rules. Maybe, maybe he's an agent. I don't drive at weekends. These are the rules. That's it. So, yeah, no, it's it's sad to see, like, a, a big industry player like that, you know, getting hit hard. But I suppose if OEM manufacturers is their bread and butter income, it's yeah. going to get hit hard. Myself, then, first one I have is the launch of the 2021 Hyundai i30N. And I love these things. Okay. I absolutely, like, I, I don't know if you know this, Nigel, Lee will know. I'm obsessed with i30Ns. I think they're so cool. Look, I think they're pretty cool too, to be fair. They look really good. Sorry, I'm just Googling to see what they look like here. Yeah. I've oh, no idea. Have you, have you not seen these? No. They're, they're like a wee hot hats. Yeah, they're Hyundai's hot hats. So the original version then was... Oh, that's the one Chris was going on about last year. Yeah. They're like yes. 250 brake. They're, they're a mental going machine. Yeah, Chris was saying that's right. I think when Chris was selling them, he kind of said that they, were, they sat somewhere between the Golf GTI and the Golf R. Yeah. But the spec on them is ridiculous. Like, I, I'm sorry, I thought a Volkswagen badge... It would look better than the current Golf. Yeah, oh, oh, 100%. So, well, I'll give you a rundown on these here. So it's had a slight facelift, but there's also mechanical that, upgrades as well. That's almost RS3-ish looking. Yeah, it's far better looking than the modern yeah. Audis. I'm going to get so much hate for that, but yep. It controversial, is. controversial. So, new model has the same 2-litre turbo, 16-valve, putting out like 200 and, what is it, 250 horsepower. There's a performance what, pack what model. What engine is it, sorry? 2-litre turbo. turbo four-cylinder. So Who do they get their engines off? Do they make their own? or I'm not honestly sure. I assume they make their own because they have in the other models as well. I think they used to get supplied years ago by Mitsubishi. Oh, maybe. Because you used to be able to do an Evo conversion on a Hyundai Coupe. Well, here, um, Mitsubishi aren't doing too much at the minute, so as no. we learned a few episodes <laughs> back, it could be. <laughs> Um, and then they have a performance pack model, much like the GTI as well, which puts out 275 horsepower, which is up from 270 in the last model. Zero to 60, 
5.9 seconds. Um, I, I like the way he just goes 0 to 60, 5.9. Just rolls off the tongue. 0 to 60 doesn't mean anything in real life driving, really. But it's one of those facts you kind of throw in, but it's... The figures now of a hot hatch, are, they're just getting ridiculous. Yeah, I remember back in the day, like we course, it was at SRIs, maybe we were doing like 10 second, not the 60s, that sort of thing. And Golf R's with files now are doing quarter miles in 11 and a half seconds. <laughs> it's just yeah. crazy. Yeah. It kind of becomes the norm. You just kind of, you don't even question it anymore. No. The other thing, the big upgrade for this then is it's come with an 8-speed, like DSG type box. So it's a wet clutch or wet type dual clutch from the Veloster N, which is their, the American version of the i30N. Like they, they don't get the i30, we don't get the Veloster. 8-speed, that sounds Mercedes-ish. Possibly, yeah. But it's like it'll be so good. They do a 6-speed manual as well, which is nice too. Um, another upgrade from the last model, slightly sharper lines, bigger spoiler, bigger exhaust on it. They went with lightweight seats. I don't think they're Recaros or anything branded because I'm sure they would be putting it out there if they were. But the Performance Pack model also comes with lightweight Forge 19s. There's an upgrade to Pirelli P0s rather than the Michelin Pilot Supersports. The brakes, this is what gets me, goes from 345s to 360mm discs. So like that's blowing anything Volkswagen's mm-hmm. doing out of the water too. And there's no price release, but the previous model was in around like 25 grand for the normal model and 28 for the Performance. So twenty nine, you're looking up there, yeah. I just found it there. Yeah, from twenty nine to ten. So, like, when a you look new, at new GTA, I was actually watching a video. I think you're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, new GTA starting at thirty five. Yeah, like, and you're sort of looking, going, "This is a better looking car. It's faster. It'll outperform it in every way. Why would you not?" Residuals. Yeah, that's the only thing. <laughs> and you have people bad snobs bad looking snobs. at it, going, no, "I worked on a lot of Hyundai's. Um, now, for an office, is maybe eight years <laughs> ago." <laughs> and what are you laughing at? I'll tell the story in a minute. And God knows what's coming here. No, I worked in a lot of Hyundai's when I worked in Halfords doing like auto fits and stuff and was in around the interiors. And the interiors were, I was doing, my main bread and butter was Mark V Golfs at the time, maybe Mark Sixes. And the Hyundai's that come in were as well put together in the interiors as the Volkswagens were. Like I, like you couldn't fault them. They're a really well built car. So if anybody has one out there, let me know and I'll take a spin on it. But <laughs> Um, if anyone's selling them, I'll come and review one certainly. But I love them; like they're such a good-looking car. The sound well. I like if if I was in the market for a new car and I was looking at buying a Mark Eight GTI or whatever it is, I would be going for the Hyundai over it. I think there's starting to be a bit of falling over here. I think it was the cars and coffee over the winter there. I think Renus run it there to raise money for the you know, the children's hospital. Oh, ah, yes, that's right. Yeah, and I think there's a few of them lined up so there is a bit of a following being built up in they come in like a baby blue which sounds horrible but when you see it in person it's actually quite nice it reminds me of Nardo grey only blue blue yeah that sort of like crayon colour yeah like yeah. a pastel sort yeah. of colour moving on then and this will be no, very hang on I need to tell my oh, Hyundai no. story here right. we go go for it <laughs> so once upon a time Connor was working on a friend of ours Hyundai Coupe I think you were oh, putting no. coilovers or something I was putting it? springs on it yeah and uh well, I won't say the racial slur that Connor used when he was given off about the fact that every single nut and bolt on the damn thing was, was it, a different size. Was it Phil's Father Jack? It was Father Jack, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, his love his love for Hyundai is, is a newfound thing. It's definitely a more recent thing. <laughs> I like them. I don't like working on them. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. I don't know what was, was wrong with that car. the fact that... Volkswagen, you either need a 13, a 17, or 19. Yeah, but when you're working on this Hyundai I was working on, one the in the, the back rainbows. was a 14mm bolt, and you go to the other one and it's a 16mm bolt, and you're like, 
It's oh, the same vault in the same position on the other side. Somebody was but at it just before. Just two different ones. And every time, and it was a stressy day, and things weren't going well. And I was like, I think it was actually near the time I was finishing university, and I was meant to go out with all the guys for like a last blowout sort of thing. And I was just like, "You're laying under a this three hour job has turned into a nine hour job, you know that kind of thing." That was bad. Um, yeah. So moving on, then the market GTI is. I think it's now available to order. And quick rundown of it: it's starting as you said, thirty three and a half thousand. It has awful 18-inch wheels. They're probably upgradable to 19s, but they're... Pretty geek. Yeah. They're, they're, I don't know what Volkswagen are doing with wheels at the moment. They're horrendous. It was the usual upgrade over the standard bumpers, spoiler, you know, honeycomb grills, that kind of thing. Everything was kind of seen from the concepts is following through with them. One thing, the power is up from the Mark 7, and it's up to 241 horsepower now in the standard. Is it, though? Oh, what are you going to tell me? The Mark 7.5 is the same engine as the performance pack. In the base model in this? I don't know if it... But the performance same pack power, is the same? sorry. Yeah. I don't know. And like, it's the MQB frame. You're talking like the DSG, 7-speed DSG box is another grand and a half on top of that. So you're into 34 grand before you start specking anything else for if you want a DSG model. Uh, not 60, I'll include it because it's like 0.3 of a second slower than the Hyundai, which isn't that much in real life, but when paper, when you're looking at it and everybody compares these things, it is slower. One thing I will say is the interior is nice. They've kept with the plaid, you know, traditional GTI yep. sort of spec. It's a nice place to sit in. Virtual but, dash, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not fussing the virtual dashes. I can't really... It's a weird mirror a bit because you see the needle moving, but there's no shadow behind it. I know, I'm a freak. I was actually watching Top Gear's video this uh, week on the release uh-huh. and they had a day at Anglesey Circuit and they were chatting about it and he walked around the car inside it and he was basically he wasn't saying it was a Mark 7.5 plus yeah. but he was hinting that there's not much not difference. much has changed here Yeah. Um, but he made the, the very good point at the end we'll have 20 cars here today and Everybody will jump in this, jump in that, and it'll be far more powerful cars. But to take the car home, everybody will be fighting over the GTI because it does everything you need. Yeah, well, that's it. Even from, from the Mark V onwards, everybody has always said it's a perfect all-rounder. You know, you'll get into it, you'll have fun, it'll drive fast, it'll handle well. You can fold the seats down and throw Timber or the dog in the back of it if you want. Like, there's no... It'll always do everything well, but it's just when you're looking at it and going, that's thirty five grand, and this other Hyundai is... Seven or eight grand cheaper and doing more. I, it's hard to sort of look past as you say all of them what they're going to lose on the Hyundai. I'm looking at it like, right? You have the Mark Five and the Mark Six was basically a Mark Five Point Five. Yeah. You have the Mark Seven and the Mark Seven Point Five. The fact that they have continued the MQB platform I mean, into the it for me, that's them basically saying we're going electric soon. Yeah, there's no more chassis development. No. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I love the Seven. I borrowed our friend Matt's. Uh, for a week he had it brand new at the time I think I, he might have had it a few weeks and he let me take it for the week Round Anglesey they reviewed it and said it's fantastic I fell in love with it you know yourself Lee I, like that thing was unbelievable mm. and, but the sevens a much better looking car than the 8 I think who was it sent us the pictures into the the podcast was it Matty Donnan Matt Donnan yeah down in the docks and it looks he's like he's our doc correspondent do you know the um, do you know the emojis Lee when you're it's like the the sideward lance emojis. He's like, nobody can see what I'm doing, but <laughs> yeah. it's like, I'll, I'll take a picture of the Instagram stories. <laughs> I'll, I'll post anyone who listens and watches the Instagram feed. Look, I'll post it, look, it. it. Basically, looks like Connor's having a stroke. It does. It looks like the car's bored. It's yeah. You're probably you're doing like 140 in the motorway in this thing, and it looks like it wants to go to sleep. 
But no, I, I can't get on board with the market at all. Uh, the granted, yes, the GTI is a better looking than the base spec, but they're not they're not a good looking car. I think Volkswagen every couple of models, uh, everybody goes, "What's that? What's that?" And then everybody after about a year or so, goes, it grows on you. That's they drop another model and another model. And to be fair, I was the same with the six. I didn't like the six when it came out, and it has grown on me, but it's still not as nice as the Mark I, Six. To me, always looked like a fat Mark Five. Yeah, I prefer the Mark Five, but they're not a bad looking car. The Mark Six, and I would own one, yeah, certainly. But it just it's not as nice looking. But the eight is properly ugly. When you like, I haven't owned a Volkswagen. I haven't owned anything other than a Volkswagen from what late two thousand and eight, mm. and I would have a Hyundai over the new GTI. And we'll leave that there. Yep. There we go. I'm gonna have to get a, I have to get a Hyundai tattoo on my other leg. <laughs> oh, you, you'll be listening to K-pop next, Connor. That's all. That's hard to beat. <laughs> I'd like to take a second to talk about our sponsor, Reload Global. Reload Global are an enthusiast-owned company, providing you with not only premium automotive apparel, but accessories such as garage manners, posters, stickers, and air fresheners. They're Northern Ireland-based and are an official stockets for 8380 Labs in the UK and Europe. They help us make all this happen. So check them out at reload.global. So we kick in with the uh, the main topic then? Yes. Nigel, do you want to take us away with your story? Well, I'll try to. Go for it. <laughs> right, so this week we're going to talk on the story of Ayrton Senna. Just before we kick on with this, uh, we put a poll out probably about three or four weeks ago yeah. asking what you guys want to do stories on. There's many different topics we uncovered. There was DTM, there was Irish Rallying, Schumacher. One of them was Senna. Uh, a few other can't remember. Yeah, really this is one that you'd actually planned on doing as well before I that was suggested. It, and someone so mentioned it, so it uh, tied in well. This this is pretty um, important to me because back in the nineties, I remember coming home from I was Goodwee Boy Church on a Sunday, and on Sunday afternoon you had Formula One races on, and back then it was Mansell, Senna, all the icons, all the big names. Yeah, so uh, just going to dive in here and chat a little bit about the life and times of the motorsport legend that is Ayrton Senna. So, Senna, is also, Senna has often been voted as the best and most influential Formula 1 driver of all time in various motorsport polls. He was recognised for his qualifying speed over one lap, and from 1989 until 2006 he held the record for most pole positions. No mean feat. He is also acclaimed for his wet weather performances such as the 1984 Monaco Grand Prix, 85 Portuguese Grand Prix and 93 European Grand Prix. He holds a record six victories at the Monaco Grand Prix and is the fifth most successful driver of all time in terms of race wins. Senna courted controversy through his career, particularly during his turbulent rivalry with Prost. In the Japanese Grand Prix of 89-90, each of which decided the championship of that year, collisions between Senna and Prost determined the eventual winner. Ayrton Senna's extraordinary fates at the wheel of the racing car yielded three world championship titles and 41 Grand Prix victories. He was probably the greatest exponent of the flat-out qualifying lap sport I've ever seen, taking 65 poles and won 162 races. Sort of reminiscent of the story I've done about Colin McRae. Flat-out to win, nothing yep. else counts. Absolute skill. If you're first, you're first, you're last, you're last. Yeah, there's no in-between with him. Yeah. No one tried harder or pushed himself further, nor did anyone shed so much light under the extremes to which only the greatest drivers go. Intensely introspective and passionate in the extreme, Ayrton Senna endlessly sought to extend his limits to go faster than himself, a quest that ultimately made him a martyr and did not diminish his mistake. So we'll go back to the beginning then, and we'll just do a sort of timeline of where things began and Sounds ended good. as such. So, early life of Mr. Senna. 
Senna was born Santana, neighbourhood of Sao Paulo. The middle child of a wealthy Brazilian family, he was born to a landowner and factory owner, Milton da Silva, and his wife, Nita. Senna was highly athletic, excelling in gymnastics and other sports, and developed an interest in cars and motor racing at the age of four. However, as a small boy, he had a poor motor coordination that had him looked at, and had trouble climbing stairways at the age of three. Um, they found that Senna was not suffering from any problems and just was a bit clumsy. They'd done all sorts of tests on him. Sounds like Lee. A bit like me, I was going to say. <laughs> well, if you're clumsy, I'm very clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> At the age of seven, Senna first learned to drive in a Jeep around his family farm and also how to change gears without using a clutch, double clutching. Man after my own heart. No mean feet, but at the age of seven, he was uh, in the cars. He wasn't born in poverty. He was born in a wealthy family. So he had a silver spoon in his mouth as such. The other thing that played a big factor was he lived very close to the Interlagos track. So that was quite handy. Growing up watching that. So to start his career in motorsport, like most people that have got in the F1 eventually, he got into karting. Senna's first car was built by his father using a small one horsepower lawnmower engine. Stena started racing in Interlagos and entered his first karting competition at the age of 13. He started his first race in pole position, facing rivals who were some years older than him. Despite this, he managed to lead most of the race before retiring after colliding with a rival. His father supported him throughout and started to manage his talent. Senna then went on then to win the South African chart, 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 Kart Championship in 1977. He contested the Kart World Championship each year from 78 to 82, finishing runner-up in 78 and 80. In 1978, he was a teammate of Terry Fullerton, from whom Senna later felt was a rival he got the most satisfaction racing against, also because of the lack of money and politics at that level. He was notorious for talking about karting from his younger years, saying it was a pure form of racing. It was just down to skill. Yeah, at that stage, you've no money thrown about. You know, you will have money thrown about it, but not in the way Formula One is, where it's yeah. just money like, kicked at things. To we're make talking it about that documentary. Last time, yeah. Um, oh, was, Formula One drive to survive, drive to survive. Like, it's ridiculous now. You can watch it, Hamilton just overtake back markers. Yeah, um, Carton that didn't happen. Is there a Spanish fella in it at the minute? Um, I can't mind his name, Carlos Sanz. No, I would know it if he said it, but he is he has loads of big money sponsors behind him. I think they always say that's that is Carlos Sainz. Is it? No, it's not Sainz, it's another guy. I can see his face, but I can't think of his name. God knows. Is it Perez? Is there a Perez? Maybe it is. Maybe. Sorry. I'll take your word for it. Uh, he has a big oil company or a bank behind him or something. He has right. something. So he, they're talking about he's going to move teams next year, I think. Haas? He, his... They think he's going to go to Haas. Ah, oh, right, right. Because he has money. Yeah, and they bring money with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you see, yeah, it's one of those things you do whatever you need to do to win, but that's an, like you're taking driver skill out of the equation there when it's just money behind it. That's the killer for me. So I can understand why he's saying there that karting is a pure form of sport when it comes down to two young kids in a kart. Yeah, so just moving on then, in 81, Senna moved to England to begin single-seater racing, winning the RAC and Townsend Torsen Formula Ford 1600 Championships that year with the Van Diemen team. Despite this, Senna initially did not believe he would continue in motorsport. So in fact, then that season, under pressure from his parents to come home to the family business, Senna announced his retirement from Formula Ford and returned to Brazil. But that didn't last too long. Before leaving England, he was offered a drive with Formula Ford 2000 team for £10,000. He turned it down, as I said, but when he got back to Brazil, he soon changed his mind. He was eating at him. It was from rich family, so the offer of £10,000 didn't mean much to him, but 
the draw of the motorsport meant more. Yeah, if he can get the money to survive on even, at least he can continue driving, progress his career. So then back to England he went, and when he returned, the Silva was a very common name. Mm-hmm. So he got his name changed then to his mother's middle name, Senna. He was Ayrton De Silva, now he's Ayrton Senna. So Senna went on then to win the 1982 British and European Formula Ford 2000 Championships. Not so bad. In 83, he drove in the Formula 3 Championship for the West Surrey team. He dominated the first half of the season until Martin Brundle, driving a similar car for Jordan Rayson, famous of the loud shirts and yes. Formula 1 commentary. Closed the gap in the second part of the championship. Senna won the title at the final round after a closely fought and at times acrimonious battle with the Briton. So then in 1984, he moved to Team Tolman. He tested for Formula 1 on Team Williams, McLaren, Brabham, Peter War of Lotus, Ron Dennis of McLaren and Bernie Eccleston of Brabham made offers for testing in 1984 and presented long-term contracts that tied Senna to the driver later on down the line. During his test for Williams at the 1.9-mile Donington Park circuit, Senna completed 40 laps and was quicker than the other drivers, including Williams reigning Formula World Champion Kiki Rosberg. I'm sure that went down well. Like a lead balloon. Neither Williams nor McLaren had a vacancy in the 1984 season. So both Williams boss Frank Williams and McLaren boss Ron Dennis know that Senna insisted that he got to run the cars before anyone else so that he could have the best chance of a good showing by having a fresh car. <laughs> Senna made his debut at the 1984 Brazilian World Championships in Rio de Janeiro where he qualified 17th but retired when the Hart turbocharger failed on lap 8. He scored his first World Championship point when he finished 6th in the second race at South African Grand Prix at Kalami with se- severe cramp in his neck and shoulders and replicated that result two weeks later at the Belgium Grand Prix. Senna's best result this season came at the Monaco Grand Prix, the first wet weather season of the race. Note the word wet. This became the trademark of Senna, the man that was able to outdrive a car in wet conditions. Yeah, pretty much if you're coming up against him on a wet lap. Good luck. Yeah, he has it. (laughs) Qualifying third in the grid, he made steady progress in climbing through the field, passing Nicky Lauda for second, on lap 19, he quickly began to cut the race leader, Alan Prost, but before he could attack Prost, the race was stopped on lap 31 for safety reason, as the rain had grown even heavier. At the time the race was stopped, Senna was catching Frost by 4 seconds per lap. Senna was renowned through his career for his capacity to provide very specific technical details about the performance of his cars and track conditions long before the advent of telemetry. This skill led Senna's first F1 race engineer, Pat Simmons, to regard the US Grand Prix in Dallas as the initial highlight of Senna's debut season instead of the more popular Monaco where Senna and Tolman scored the first podium finish. So back then, Senna was basically the telemetry equipment on your on their cars. Aye, he's the, what, what you're going to be aiming against. So part of the reason why he was winning was because he was able to communicate the telemetry to the engineers and they can make adjustments. So. That's crazy. Yeah, that's he's almost like he's at one with the car. That season, uh, Senna took two more podium finishes, third at the British and Portuguese Grand Prix and placed ninth in the Drivers' Championship with 13 points overall. He did not take part in the Italian Grand Prix after he was suspended by Tolman for being in breach of his contract by entering talks with Lotus for 1985 without informing the Tolman team. <laughs> Although Senna did have a £100,000 buyout clause in his contract, the team had to be informed before the discussions with another team started. So didn't end well with them guys. So then we move on to... The Lotus years, that was 1985 to 1987. Senna was partners in his first year at Lotus Realm by Italian driver Elio De Angelis. At the second round of the season, the Portuguese Grand Prix, Senna took the first pole position in his F1 career. 
He converted into his first victory in race, which was held in very wet conditions, hence wet, uh, winning over by a minute from uh, Michelle Alberto and lapping everyone up to and including third place Patrick Tambay. The race was the first Grand Slam of Senna's career, as he also set the fastest lap of the race. Just on a note, the Lotus cars, that was another thing from my childhood, the John Player special graphics. The black and gold. Yeah. Yeah, they're so, this is like... Like, like li- motorsport li- libraries are so important to me, it just makes or breaks a car. And you don't really get that anymore. Yeah. That's the thing about it. I love the Red Bull cars. I've always liked the Red Bull libraries. Yes, I like them. Yeah. That's kind of kicking back to those early days, you know, where it is that kind of one theme. Where it's now recognizable. It's, yeah, straight away. Where yeah. now it's like, the likes of the Ferrari cars for me are always just a red car yes. and it's plastered in all the different names and there's no theme to it as such. It's all about money. <laughs> That's it, yeah. You look at the old DTM cars, like the Tic Tac BMs and things like that. He did not finish in the points again until the second of the Austrian Grand Prix, despite taking pole three more times in the intervening period. Two more podiums followed in the Netherlands and Italy before Senna had his second victory, again in wet conditions, at Spa in Belgium. Senna's relationship with De Angelis, his co-driver, soared over the season as both drivers demanded top driver status within Lotus. After spending six years at the team, De Angelis departed for Brabham at the end of the year, convinced that Lotus were becoming more focused around Brazilian. Facts. Uh, <laughs> you can see why. Senna and De Angelis finished the season fourth and fifth respectively in the driver's ranking. 86 then, D'Angelis was replaced by Scotland's Donny Dun- Donny? Johnny Dumfries after Senna vetoed Derek Warwick from joining the team, saying that Lotus could not run competitive cars for two top drivers at the same time. So he's throwing his weight about there, looking after number one. I think that kind of became the standard. Yeah. Senna started the season well, coming second in Brazil behind Williams Honda of Nelson Piquet and winning the Spanish Grand Prix by 0.014 seconds from PK's teammate Nigel Mansell and one of the closest finishes in Formula 1 history to find himself leading the World Championship after two races. That was a photo finish race. Oh, actually, like a horse race. No, that's unbelievable. Nobody knew. Yeah. However, poor reliability, particularly in the second half of the season, saw him drift behind the Williams pairing of Mansell and PK, as well as defending an eventual champion, Alain Prost. Nonetheless, Senna was once more the top qualifier with eight poles and a further six podium finish, including another win in the Detroit Grand Prix, thus finished the season fourth in the driver's standing, again with a total points of 55. In between times, Fella got bored, so he also had, also had a brief foray into rallying, where he tried out, wait for it, Lee, a Vauxhall Nova. Good man. An MG6R4, a Ford Sierra RS Cosworth, and a Ford Escort. I have and no notion about that. I'm seeing more and more... Uh, Similarities with McRae here as well. Yeah, that's what you're saying about the Nova <laughs> there as well. So the man liked to keep busy. So moving on to 87 then. Lotus had a new engine deal in 1987 on the same turbocharged Honda V6 engines as Williams had used to win the previous year's Constructor Championship. And with them came a new teammate, 34-year-old Japanese driver, Satori Nakayama. Senna started the season with Mick Fortunes. Podium at San Marino Grand Prix was tempered by controversy at the following race at Spa where he collided with Mansell and afterwards in the pits. An angered Englishman grabbed Senna by the throat and had to be restrained by Lotus Mechanics. Fair enough. <laughs> Senna then won two races in a row which helped him, lead, uh, helped him take the lead in the World Championship. The ensuing Grand Prix, Monaco Grand Prix and the Detroit Grand Prix, his second victory in two years at the Michigan Street Circuit and the first for an active suspension F1 car. As the championship progressed, however, it became evident that the Williams car had the advantage over the rest of the field. This annoyed Senna. The gap between the Honda engine teams made most obvious at the British Grand Prix where Mansell and PK lapped the Lotuses of Senna and Nakayama, who finished third and fourth respectively. 
Senna became dissatisfied with the chances at Lotus and at Monza it was announced that he would be joining McLaren in 88. Senna finished the season strongly, coming second in the final two races in Japan and Australia. Senna was, that year was classified third in the final standings with uh, 57 points, six podium finishes, but only one pole position. So then 1988, we joined McLaren. So these are McLaren years. That's 1988 to 1983. And if you think of Senna and McLaren, you think of the Marlborough livery. Yeah. The red and white. Again, going back to that, like they just don't do stuff like that anymore. It's I, just. I, I was sort of watching a few videos and stuff and you see Formula 1 cars now and you can barely see the head of the driver. Yeah. See the old cars, the Formula drivers. They're almost... You can see, you can see their nipples. <laughs> they're hanging they're, out of the top of the car. Yeah. They're totally exposed, yeah. And then yeah. I think the new ones have this kind of Halo thing oh, going Halo. on too, which is a bit controversial. So I only put a post up there two weeks ago. Halo, uh, especially close calls, these drivers would be dead. If they hadn't got the and Halo thing. bits of things that hit, it just nearly hit their driver's head. Yeah. So, 88... Due to the relationship that he had built up with Honda through the 87 season with Lotus and with the approval of McLaren's number one driver and then double world champion Alan Prost, Senna joined the McLaren team. The foundation for a fierce competition between Senna and Prost was laid, culminating in a number of dramatic race incidents between the two over the next five years. If you've ever watched the film uh, Senna, oh, yeah. I advise you to watch it now. It is fantastic. It's That's where most of my information will come because I didn't watch Formula 1 back yeah. then and it's such a good watch. So that's your next film to watch, Lee. Okay, I'll put it on the list. <laughs> it's well worth it. However, the experienced pair also quickly realised despite their personal rivalry, they had to work together, especially in testing to keep ahead of their main opposition from Ferrari, Williams, Benetton and Lotus. One not- notable incident of the year was at the Monaco Grand Prix where Senna out-qualified Prost by 1.4 seconds and led for most of the race before crashing in like lap 67. Instead of returning to the pit lane, Senna went back to his apartment and did not contact the team until he walked into the pit garage as they were packing up later that night. <laughs> just a total strop. So he just went, fuck this, I'm away home. But I think it was more embarrassment that he had, I think he clipped a barrier or something. Yeah, he just sort of threw the head up and I went think here. it was Prost that pointed it out, you know, he's a hell of a guy, Prost. <laughs> oh yeah, when you watch the film again, you'll <laughs> you'll see a lot of rivalry there. At the 88 Portuguese Grand Prix, Prost made a slightly faster start than Senna. But the Brazilian dived in the first corner ahead. Prost responded and went to pass Senna at the end of the first lap. Senna swerved to block Prost, forcing the Frenchman to nearly run to the pit wall at 180 miles an hour. Prost kept his foot down and soon edged Senna into the first corner and started pulling away. Though Prost was angered by Senna's manoeuvre, the Brazilian got away with a warning from the FIA. Ultimately, the pair won 15 of 16 races in the McLaren MP4-4 in 1988 with Senna coming out on top winning his first Formula 1 championship title by taking 8 wins to Prost 7. Prost scored, scored more points over the season, but had to drop 3 second places, as only the 11 best scores counted. However, the big ins- biggest incident of the year happened in the Italian Grand Prix at Monza, with 2 laps remaining. Senna held a 5 second lead over the Ferraris of Gerhard Berger and Michel Alberto, who were closing in on the McLaren. Prost had retired earlier with a bad engine. Going into the Redefilo chicane, Senna closed in the Williams of Jean-Louis Schessler, Standing in for the unwell Nigel Mansell. Schessler steered wide, attempting to give Senna room to lap him, losing then regaining control to avoid going in the Senna trap, and then collided. Ferrari went on to finish 1-2, the first in the Italian Grand Prix since the death of the team's founder, Enzo Ferrari. This proved to be the only race McLaren did not win in 88. During that season, Senna rewrote the record books. His eight wins beat the old record of seven jointly held by Jim Clark and Alan Prost. Moving on then to 1989, the following year, the rivalry between Senna and Prost intensified into numerous battles on the track and psychological war of it. 
Tensions and mistrust between the two drivers increased when Senna overtook Prost at the start of the, Grand, the San Marino Grand Prix, a move which Prost claimed violated a pre-race agreement. Senna denied the existence of any agreement, though Prost's story was backed up by John Hogan of the team's major sponsor, Marlborough. Senna took an early lead in the championship with victories in San Marino, Monaco and Mexico. Senna was also the feat of leading every lap of those races, which was not equaled until Sebastian Vettel in 2012. Senna also managed to win in Germany, Belgium and Spain. However, unreliability in Phoenix, Canada, France, Britain and Italy, together with collisions in Brazil and Portugal, swung the title in Prost's favour. Prost took the 89 world title after a collision with Senna at the Suzuki circuit in Japan, the penultimate race of the season. Senna finished the second season with six wins and one place. Prost then left McLaren for rivals Ferrari the following year. 1990, Senna took a commanding lead in the championship with uh, six wins, two second places and three thirds. With Prost going to Ferrari, he also had a new teammate and Austrian driver, Gerhard Berger. Among his victories were the opening round in Phoenix, in which he diced for the lead for several laps with Jean-Lise Terrell before coming out on top in Germany, and in Germany where he fought Benetton driver Alessandro Nanini throughout the race for the win. As the season reached its final quarter, however, Alan Prost and his Ferrari rose to the challenge with five wins, including a crystal win in Spain, where he and teammate Mansell finished 1-2 for the Scuderia. Senna had gone out with a damage radar and the gap between Senna and Prost and now reduced to nine points with two rounds remaining. At the penultimate round of the championship in Japan at Suzuka where Senna and Prost collided the previous year, Senna took pole. Before qualifying, Senna had sought assurances from the organised to move pole position onto the clean side of the racetrack. After qualifying, FAA President Ballister denied Senna's request, leaving Senna to start on the dirty side, thus favouring Prost on the left. In addition... As revealed by F1 journalist Morris Hamilton, the FA had warned that crossing the yellow line of the pit exit on the right to better position oneself at the first corner would not have been appropriate, further infuriating Senna. At the beginning of race, Prost pulled ahead of Senna, who immediately tried to repass Prost at the first corner, while Prost turned in. Senna kept his foot in the accelerator, and the car collided at 170 mile an hour and spun out of the race, making Senna world champion. Yeah, imagine what that's like, though, that sort of speeds, <laughs> like a collision, it must be. I think, it's going back to the motorbike, uh, Racers, I think we're talking about this tunnel vision. Yeah, all you they can don't see. see the speed; they just see the corner. Yeah, or what they're planning to do. So then, onto the next season. Then in 1981, Senna became the youngest ever three-time world champion, taking seven wins and increasing his pole position record from 60 to 127 events. By mid-season, Mansell and the Williams was able to put up a challenge. The British Grand Prix at Silverstone, Senna's car had come to a halt in the final lap, but he was not left stranded in the circuit as race winner Mansell pulled over in his parade lap and allowed the Brazilian to ride on the Williams side pod back to the pits. During the Spanish Grand Prix, Senna and Mansell went wheel to wheel with only centimetres to spare at 200 miles an hour down the main street at which the Britain eventually won. Though Senna's consistency, car's competitiveness and the Williams unreliable ability at the beginning of the season gave him an early advantage, Senna insisted that Honda step up their engine development programme and demanded further improvements to the car before it was too late. These modifications enabled him to make a late season push and he won three more races to secure the championship, which was settled in Japan when Mansell went off the first corner while on the third and beats his Williams in the gravel track. Senna finished second, handing the victory to teammate Gerhard Berger at the last corner as a thank you gesture for his support over the season. Senna was planned to move to Williams for the 92 season, but Honda's CEO personally requested that he remain at McLaren Honda, which Senna did out of a sense of loyalty. Corporation Honda, they were just complete... Fanboys, he's a legend in Japan. Yeah, sure. Look at the tie-ins with the NSX as well. Yeah, that's great. Like he was, I think he done a lot of like the development driving for the NSX chassis, and I think he had one as well. Then he was there one that, yeah. that came up for sale there a couple of years, maybe five or six years ago, which was mental money. But Honda were big into him now. 
So moving on then to ninety two season, uh, Senna's determination to win manifested itself and displayed McLaren's inability to challenge Williams' all-conquering FW14B car. McLaren's new car for the season had several shortcomings. A delay occurred in getting the new model running, and in addition to lacking active suspension, the new car suffered from liability issues and was unpredictable in fast corners, while its Honda V12 engine was no longer the most powerful in the circuit. During practice for the second race of the season in Mexico in the circuit, Senna was heavily critical of it. His car had a bump that caused a uh, loss of downforce, and he crashed hard into a concrete retaining wall. That season, Senna scored wins in Monaco, Hungary and Italy. During qualifying for the Belgium Grand Prix, French driver Eric Comas crashed heavily and Senna was the first to arrive in the scene. He acted as a car and actually ran across the circuit to help the freshman. So it sort of shone a light that he wasn't just a, a total asshole. spineless asshole. You know? No, it's, when it comes down to it, I suppose you're looking going, that could be me someday. You know, you'd want someone to do the same for you. Or well, it, was, it, was a, it comes down to your human nature too. That that's uh, your reaction is to go and do that. Yeah. That season, he was fourth overall behind, again, Williams of Mansell and that, at that time, Patrese and Benetton's Michael Schumacher. You might know him. I know him. <laughs> um, second, Senna's relationship with Schumacher had deteriorated through 92. For 93, attempts were made by McLaren boss Ron Dennis to secure his play of the dominant Renault V12 engines that Williams had found great success with. When these failed, Senna went to Williams himself and sought to take one of their two open rides. As the defending champion, Nigel Mansell joined the Indy Car Series for 93, and long-time second driver, Ricardo Patrese, left the drive at Benetton alongside Schumacher. However, despite Senna going so far to be, as to be willing to forfeit his salary just to drive one of the Williams Reynolds, this too would fail. Alan Prost was returning to F1 for the first time since the penultimate race of the 91 season and filled one of the vacant Williams seats. His contract included a caveat that he had veto power over he, who he would team with in the other car for 93 since he still had ill will towards his former McLaren teammate Prost used that veto to freeze out Senna yeah, so him he wasn't getting in then and forced in into what uh, was now a lame duck season for the Brazilian at McLaren this time McLaren was forced to t- take the customer supply of Ford V8 engines McLaren hoped for to make up for inferior horsepower with mechanical sophistication including an effective active suspension system though the system itself proved difficult at times especially for teammate Andretti with this plan, Dennis finally persuaded Senna to stay with uh, McLaren. Senna concluded that the new car had a surprising potential, albeit with the Ford V8 down in power relative to Prost's Renault V12. Senna then decided to extend his deal on a race-by-race basis instead of a full-year contract, end up staying for the whole of 93 season. Rumours of a million pound a race he got that season. When was that? 93? 93. Big deal. I like a million pound race now, never mind 1993. In the opening race in South Africa, Senna finished in second place after surviving a collision with Schumacher. Senna won in changing conditions in Brazil and Donington. Later, has often been regarded as one of Senna's greatest victories in the process, setting a record for the fastest lap in, F- lap in an F1 race, driving through the then speed unrestricted pit lane. He was fifth at the first corner and led the race at the end of the first lap, going on to lap all but second place in a race where up to seven pit stops were required by some drivers for rain or slick tyres. Senna then scored a second-place finish in Spain and a record-breaking sixth win at Monaco. After Monaco, the sixth race of the season, Senna unexpectedly led the championship from Prost and the Williams. As the season progressed, Alan Prost and Damon Hill asserted the superiority of their Williams rental cars, while Senna suffered mechanical failures in Imola, Canada, Britain, Hungary and Portugal. Not a great season. Senna won the penultimate race of the season in Japan, you'll like this, which was marked by an incident involving a fella from not too far from here, Jordan 
rookie, Eddie Irvine. Yep, man himself. Immediately after the race, Senna attended the Jordan's Guard and said to the Irishman, you drive like a fucking idiot. You're not a racing driver, you're a fucking idiot before punching him in the face. <laughs> get get <laughs> it up, uh, Eddie. <laughs> a passionate man, so yeah. is it? <laughs> okay, didn't get you know what reminds me of one of our GTNI carton nights? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it does, I. <laughs> yes, things get a bit heated at those two. They do, yeah. <laughs> season concluded in Australia with Senna's 41st and last F1 career win, as well as the last win for active suspension F1 car. The win in Adelaide was an emotional one due to Senna ending his successful career with McLaren and defeating his biggest rival, Prost, for the last time. So then, we're on to Williams. Let's talk libraries. The Rothmans Williams cars. Yeah, again. Another, another great colour combo. Yeah. It's like, I just don't see how, well, as you say now, it's all money. So they just, they literally plaster a logo anywhere they can. And there's no kind of overall theme to it now, which is it's such a pity. It, uh, but there's a common theme there. It's all cigarette manufacturers. It is. JPS. Benson Hedges, you know, all those ones were all. Yeah. Remember the Rizla, um Superbike liveries? Yeah. They were cool. Did you not have a Suzuki jacket? Was Rizla still on it then? Like the light there was blue. Relentless. Um, do you remember the you're... energy drink Relentless yeah. that I don't think is around anymore? I about that it. was the jacket that I had, but it was the blue. It was Rizla, the same blue. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're so good. So, 94, Senna was able to finally join Williams' team after Prost retired and was reported to be getting paid a salary of 20 million. I'm Back in 94, 20 million. Not jealous at all. No. <laughs> Senna was assigned car number two and teammate Damon Hill running car number zero due to Prost, who would have been assigned number one had he returned retiring. With Senna's arrival, a new sponsor came. Rothmans International came aboard as the primary backer for Williams, with Senna being one of their first drivers in the familiar white and navy library. Rule change for 94, banned active suspension, traction control and ABS. During pre-season testing, the new Williams car exhibited none of the superiority of previous cars, and Senna found himself running very close to the Benetton of Schumacher. Senna expresses discomfort with the handling of the car, stating, I have very negative feelings about driving the car and driving on the limit. Some of that is down to the lack of electronic change. Also, the car had its own characteristics, which I'm not fully confident in. It's going to be a season of lots of accidents. I'll risk saying that we'll be lucky if something really serious doesn't happen. Oh. So, yeah, it's a bit uh, funny that he said that. Foreshadowing there, is it? Yeah. I think I think he wouldn't admit it at the time, but I think he was starting to get a bit nervous that things were starting to get very dangerous. All this power, and then they take away the driver's aid, and there wasn't as much control. Yeah, especially in a car you're not comfortable in, doing those yeah. speeds, right? Like open wheel, wheel to wheel. It's, it's mental. Like you want to be confident. Yeah. It was Senna's first, uh, worst start to the Formula 1 season, failing to finish to score points in the first two races, despite t- taking pole position both times. Schumacher was leading Senna in the Drivers' Championship by 20 points. The 94 season was subject of sweeping rule changes, most notably, banning of the use of electronic driver's aids, as I said, uh, such as active suspension, anti-lock brakes, traction control and launch control. From the start, suspicion of foul play, mainly involving the Benetton team, was said to have troubled Senna. don't know if you've seen the memes of uh, Vettel going around Hamilton's. No, I didn't see them. But the Inspector I've... Gadget song. No. When I come in the finish pits, <laughs> he's sitting walking around with Inspector Gadget because he's he thinks, you know, Mercedes are cheating. Yeah. So he's walking around looking. So Senna mm-hmm. had a bit of that. For example, instead of returning to the pit area after his first lap retirement at Pacific Grand Prix, Senna opted to stand near the first corner and That's watch right. the cars complete the race to see if he could detect whether any were now running band tracks and control system. 
he's in full detective mode there. Later on down the years, Damon Will revealed that Senna had once said to him, concluded there was what he regarded unusual noises from the engine, uh, with special tweak giving Benetton an advantage. <laughs> so then we'll move on to the ominous last race that Senna ran in, and that was the 94 San Marino Grand Prix, held at Autodromo Enzo Dino Ferrari circuit located in Emily, Italy. It was the weekend between the 20th of July and the 1st of May, 1984. On Friday, Senna placed the car in pole position for a then-record 65th time, final time. But he was upset by events unfolding that race weekend. Senna complained about the FW16's handling and reported the car's performance was generally worst after the engineer's latest adjustments. During the afternoon qualifying session, Senna's compatriot and protege, Rims Barrichello, was involved in a serious accident when his car became airborne at a chicane and hit the tire wall and fence. Barrichello suffered a broken nose and arm and withdrew from the event. Barrichello reported that Senna was the first person he saw upon gaining consciousness. During Saturday qualifying, Austrian rookie Roland Ratzenberger was killed after the front wing of his Semtec Ford broke, entering the Villeneuve corner at 190 mile an hour. That's right, yeah. Sending the car into a concrete retaining wall. Senna spent his final morning on the Sunday talking to his former teammate and rival Alan Prost to discuss the re-establishment of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, a driver's union with the aim of improving safety in Formula 1. Ironic, really. Yeah, it is. To follow. At the start of the Grand Prix, Senna retained the lead from Schumacher. Proceedings were soon interrupted by a start-line accident. J.J. Leto's Benetton Ford had stalled and was hit by the Lotus Mugen Honda of Pedro Lamy. A wheel and debris landed in the main grandstand, injuring eight fans and police officer. Then... Later on in the race, a Senna rounded the high-speed Tamburello corner and lap 7. His car left the racing line at 191 miles an hour, ran in the straight line off the track and hit the concrete retaining wall at 145 miles an hour. After what telemetry showed to be an application of the brakes for around 2 seconds, the red flag was shown as a consequence of the accident. At 18.40, the head of Hospital Emergency Department, Maria Ferrandri, made the announcement that Senna had died and said the official time of death under Italian law was 20 past 2. The right front wheel and suspension was believed to have been sent into the cockpit, striking Senna on the right side of his helmet. Senna's death was considered by many of the Brazilian fans to be a national tragedy, and the government of Brazil declared three days of national mourning. The man was just a legend in his yeah. country. It's sad they're listening to that just at the end, like literally that morning, they're talking about putting the driver's association back together to like promote driver safety and try and get, I suppose, kind of like the same Malauda, you know, trying to get those guys to push back on what they've been told to do or the race series or circuits that they race on, you know, yeah. try and give feedback into the organizers to say like, this is dangerous, that's dangerous kind of thing. And then that to happen like literally less than a few hours later. His funeral then, an estimated 3 million people flocked the streets of Senna's hometown in Sao Paulo to offer him their salute. This is widely accepted as the largest recorded gathering of mourners in modern times. So that gives you a relative scale of what Senna meant to yeah, Brazilians. National hero. Over 200,000 people filed past his body laying in state at the Legislative Assembly Building in Iberpure Park. After the public viewing, a 21-gun salute was fired by the 2nd Artillery Brigade and seven Brazilian Air Force jets flew in diamond formation as the funeral procession made its way to Marimbi Cemetery, which happened to be close to the family home and close to his favourite circuit under Lagos. Many prominent motor racing figures attended Senna's state funeral, such as team managers Terrell, Peter Collins, Ron Dennis, Frank Williams, fleet of different drivers, Bernie Eccleston. He was an absolute legend and just a, 
a final wee uh, paragraph here to round things up. Beyond his driving genius, Senna was one of the sport's most compelling personalities. Though slightness in stature, he possessed a powerful physical presence, and when he spoke with his warm brown eyes sparkling and his voice quavering with intensity, his eloquence was spellbinding. Even the most jaded members of the Formula 1 fraternity were mesmerised, and at his press conference, you could hear a pin drop. Behind the wheel of the depth of his commitment was there for all to see, and the thrilling spectacle of Senna on an all-out qualifying lap or a relentless charge through the field evoked an uneasy combination of both admiration for his superlative skill and fear for his future. A man possessed. Yeah. He drove like a man possessed. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Some thought by demons. His ruthless ambition provoked condemnation by critics, among them Prost, who accused him of caring more about winning than living. Senna revealed he had discovered religion. Prost and others suggested he was a dangerous madman who thought God was his co-pilot. Martin Brundle said, Senna is a genius. I define genius as just the right side of imbalance. He is so highly developed to the point that he's almost over the edge. It's a close call. <laughs> so yeah, that, uh, it's, that's the story of Senna. Thanks Hope very much. enjoyed it, folks. Yeah, it's not so you're saying the amount of people in Brazil that come out for that funeral, and I guarantee you not every one of those people is a Formula One fan. You know, it just it meant so much to them that they had done so much for their country. I think at the time and probably still today, there was a lot of poverty and yeah, a lot of lack of heroes in the country. And he was the he was the shining light of the country, basically. Yeah. So a lot um, of people. The other thing as well, it was not something as well about it was a bit of controversy about what actually caused the accident that killed him. Yeah, there, there was, was a modification made to the one. Is it the steering? Not the steering rack. It was the steering column. That went, that, on, that went on for years. Yeah, and Frank Williams was in a lot of bother over it, I think, because yeah. they had modified it. And then it came, I think, was it ruled eventually that that wasn't the cause of the accident or they couldn't tell because that part was destroyed in the accident, so they couldn't actually say whether it had failed or not. I think or, it quietly swept under the carpet. Yeah, there was a lot more to it than I think yeah. a lot of people wanted to admit. Or I'd say Frank Williams was... Uh, Basically, he went in the corner and the car didn't steer. Yeah. That's and, the be-all and end-all of it. Yeah, unfortunately, it's one of those things you'll never know. No. It's, it's uh, a sad end to it, but yeah, most sporting legend indeed. Yeah, um, it's, and again, those guys go into that knowing that yeah, there is a day that you're going to go to race and you won't come back. Road racing motorcyclists—they're even more dangerous. Than they <laughs> yeah. go they're out. a different breed, honestly. Yeah. I know a few of those guys, and they're just—they're not all there. They laugh in the face of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doing things like that need to be in a certain frame of mind or even have a certain mentality towards things that you're just going, yeah, this is what I do. And as you say, when you get out there, it's tunnel vision and it's a case of I need to win and that's what you're focusing on. Well, thank you very much for that, Nigel. No problem. No problem. Hope you didn't fall asleep with my tones. Lots of tones. <laughs> so will we move on then to finish off with our usual listener questions? Yes, I think, when, I think we need to start with certain listener called Richie Brown who sent out a question and he was ignored ignored and he was upset well I don't know well he didn't give off to you but he gave off to Lee and I (laughs) so well I'll get Lee to read out the questions would you want to cover Richie's question then for this one I'll give it a go I think it was basically your ultimate road trip the ultimate road trip um for me for me for me um every time I say for me that's all I think of Probably what Lee and I were planned to do maybe two years ago was uh, east coast of America. Class. Was take my car over and basically start at one end and work our way up. 
visit people we know, see different sites and that kind of thing, and just try and take in a few shows. But just basically travel the country in your own car and bomb up and down, touch base with people and things. What about you, Lee? Yeah, I think that that'll be, and we will do that someday. It's still in the plans. Yeah, if I ever finish the Mark Three. <laughs> yeah. We'll just we'll take a hard car. It'll be easier. <laughs> no, some people might think that's a lack of faith in your building, Connor. It might be. Um, I would like to go back and do the rest of Route sixty six. Yeah, you did have it. You done Route thirty three, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. It was absolutely brilliant. What, um, what part? Where did you go from and to? We used to, so most people go east to west from Chicago to LA but we actually did the other way around we started in LA and went back towards the east again so we covered California um Arizona New Mexico so we stopped in Albuquerque yeah I'd love to go back and finish it off do the whole thing I'd like to do the whole thing all in one go but I'd like to do the the other half that we didn't do you done that in a Harley trike didn't you yeah it was awesome (laughs) cemented your love for trikes yes I do like trikes now I didn't used to. Well, I did. I like I liked the look of them and I had respect for them and stuff. But my dad always said, and, and I totally agree, that if you're going to be on a bike, it's got to be in two wheels because otherwise you're just stuck in traffic with every other dickhead. You can't, Would you disagree with them now? <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't go up the white line on a trike. But riding that Harley trike in America just totally changed my mind. Like, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I want one. <laughs> Expensive. I'll never afford one, <laughs> but I want one. <laughs> what about you, Nigel? I would go. I'll. I'll have two things here. There'll be the budget one, uh-huh. and there'll be all out one. The budget one would be probably West Coast Ireland, or do you know the five hundred route of Scotland? Yes, the northwest. Yeah. My mum and sister, and my mum and her partner went over, and my sister's living over there at the minute, and uh, they just did that last week. Brilliant! So it looked awesome. I think it was a YouTube channel I was watching and these guys bought a £200 banger and they basically drove the 500 route of Scotland. That would be good. They were from the Midlands somewhere and they drove, what was it? It was a, it wasn't a chicken go. <laughs> this is very budget, yeah. So it was a wee Hyundai something or other. Oh, like it, a Getz or never let them down. That's close. Cool. And uh, yeah, they had that there. No, locally it would be West Coast Ireland or the the five hundred. Is it the N five hundred? That's called NC five hundred. NC five hundred North Coast. Ah, uh, you want to do the uh, Wild Atlantic Way then down yeah. the West Coast? Yeah, on a big baller budget. I think I would like something nice to drive and do uh, south of France, Spain, Switzerland, Italy, mountainous. Yeah, into the mountain range over into the Alps, that kind of Lots thing. Lots of switchbacks and climbs yeah. and scenery. We just did. Following Robin there when he was doing the Rico Rally two years ago, the scenery is just unreal. Yeah, we found that with going to Austria for Wethersea, yeah. up into the mountains, like on the scenery. Just it's, mouth open. It's like something like James Bond, <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh my God. And then you're, you had a toll road and you're paying for those scenery. <laughs> you want to keep your eyes open. <laughs> yeah, the tolls and those things are crazy. If you ever anybody is ever going to do them, just kind of be aware of that. Yeah. Um, yourself uh, myself would be the American one I was saying about oh, just up the, the east coast yeah. sorry I just had a stroke there that's it <laughs> so yeah there you go Richie's happy now it's right. questions shut your mouth Richie you're answered <laughs> please ask another question <laughs> yes please interact with us okay so first question from Ronan age 21 he says do you think drag racing will be back next year it'll have to be for him to get used out of this car I would say probably uh, it's an outdoor event I can't see why it wouldn't 
under what capacity and whether it's financially viable. Or spectators can bunch up at the starting line the way you usually do. You might need to have like a grandstand or portable stands maybe. That's going to be a thing with events now. It'll be, can this be done socially distanced and can it be done without losing your ass money-wise? Pretty much, yeah. Which is usually tight enough anyway. Yep. Kind of leads into (laughs) to Ronan's next question, which is how do we feel shows will be affected in 2021? Limited cars and people? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think you answered your own question there, Ronan. (laughs) I think the killer for this country is I think indoor shows are going to be very, very difficult to hold. But the problem is you do an outdoor show here, it's the weather. Huh, yeah. Low GTNI seem to do Ooh, well with the weather. Get Deliver. them goats stacked up, we'll yep. have a show. <laughs> Slaughter a few goats. <laughs> Pray to the sun god. I walk into the butchers now. Ah, oh, Mr. Lamont, you want some goats? Yes, no live. <laughs> There's a kind of a long one here from Anna Kim. Nothing more than what I said at the show. You should all be very proud of what you successfully accomplished for yet another year. You all need thanked for the organisation that goes into pulling something like this off. I was proud to be a part again, so thank you again, guys. You're all stars. Oh, so I assume he's talking about Very Titanic. <laughs> Titanic yeah, does, yeah. yeah. I actually said thoughts on Titanic and when I'd done the question things. Just, yeah. But uh, yes, very kind words, Ross. Appreciate the support. And Ross's a good guy and a great trader to deal with because he just turns up and does his thing and yeah. there's no hassle out of him. So and Local products, business, support local. Yeah, Anakin products are great, like, so go ahead and give him a shout. Yeah, I think as we said earlier, it, it very much was not me and Connor. It was Nigel no. and Gethin and those guys. Don't who, listen to them. <laughs> we turn up in the day and help, but... <laughs> Eat some food. <laughs> Drink some Prosecco. Drink some Prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, S14OCP says, do you ever wonder what happened to Mike McCoy's Jetta or any other famous car? Yeah, you might know it, Lee. You'd know it, Nigel. Yeah. The black one from the States. Um, yeah, that that was a Mark II Jetta small bumper, had stretched tires before. Kind of that was a massive thing mm. on RSs and really detailed, detailed build. Um, yeah, it is strange. Mike kind of held on on the scene from what I could see online before, and was involved in other builds with other people, kind of helping them with it. I don't know where that car ever went because there is other cars like high end show cars that you don't really see, and then. For example, there, there's a guy on the East Coast, a Mark III guy, Joey Krauts, I think his surname is, and he had a white, he had a championship white Mark III, which is a Honda color, mm-hmm. and that car was originally Terror Mike's, um, if you remember it in PVW years ago, Nigel, it was a Vento-fronted Mark III on TH lines, and it was Hummer Sage Green, they got metallic, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the same car, and then he had a he had a Vento, a white Vento with a smooth bed before it was a really a big thing as well. And that ended up as, did you see the twin turbo rear wheel drive VR6 Vento that was on the cover of PVW a few years back? Don't remember. So it was like uh, longitudinally mounted. So I think those cars kind of get swapped around and then totally stripped and rebuilt into something different. But I don't know ever know what happened to that car. And then on the flip side of that, a lot of the, the Bynum family in America, who the father and son, their cars all stayed within the family or went to friends. Like John Hanna has... I think two Bynum built cars now mm-hmm. um, and they kind of get looked after and, and kept as they are essentially mm-hmm. so it is hard to know what happens sometimes you can kind of follow them and see and then there's other cars you kind of go that was around for years and everyone loved it and it sort of dropped off it's funny sometimes or could be locked up in a garage could be locked in a garage but a lot of guys now just strip out cars just break uh, that's a out. very modern thing I think yeah. now yeah because there's a lot of bolt on stuff where as build well, a car for one show season break the internet and then strip it and go strip it on a similar note to that there's um 
Marty Mim has just done that with his car. Now we're not saying he has <laughs> done that to, to win shows, but Poor yeah, he has stripped it back and is selling it standard kind of thing. But you like it's funny because that car of his was so striking it was one car of the show at yeah. Titanic Dubs, but back to standard and it'll get sold on and someone will be driving that never knowing that it was a, a show winning car. car kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's odd to think that too. Uh, Simon also asks, are we stopping at the beach on the run? My dog wants to know. I love that dog of his. <laughs> it's going to be a very laid back run this time um, because Nigel's I'm not ter- doing the directions. I'm terrible so. with a map. So uh, there's plenty of beaches. We'll give you a route. Tear on. Tear away. <laughs> Simon's dog, Junior, is very not, very much not a junior. That's <laughs> class. Dogs are very welcome. I like to stroke dogs. Dog, dogs, that is. <laughs> Um, Connor Old says favorite hot hatch that doesn't have GTI in its name. I kind of took this as cars that I had driven, right? And my initial one that I wanted to say I said earlier to Lee was a 106 GTI, and then I thought about it for a few minutes and went, "That is GTI in the title, so I can't say that." Phase two rally for me, it was then just basically the same car under a different name was the Saxo VTS. Ah, uh, yes, those cars are. I've I've driven a 106 GTI. They all went to scrap. They're all they've all disappeared off yeah, the road. Yeah, they all go. Like I I've driven a 106 GTI. I loved it. I've driven a Saxo VTR and I've loved it. So I assume the Saxo VTS is the same because it's the same engine and everything in them. But I they're no, such a fun. What VTR VTR is the 8 valve. Oh, the no, VTS oh, 16 valve. Yeah, sorry, but it's the same as the 106 GTI. Oh, it, sorry. Yeah, right, so okay. they should be the same car in theory. But I love driving those. They're a good fun. I'll never. Well, I've just admitted it now to all our listeners. But yeah, they're. Great wee car, the handle so well. I just wouldn't like to smash one, put it like that. Phase two, 106 rally for me. My mate had phase one and phase two. And the way they revved, they got a, from factory, they got a cam and flowed the heads in factory. Um, He put a four branch in his, just accelerated so quick, the noise of him just sounded like a tuned engine from factory. Wayne Douglas, one of our listeners, has the mini. He has a lovely blue 106. One. Yeah. yeah. Or, or no, white, I think, actually. Is Patrick's it? was blue. Who's was blue? Uh, Patrick, they went to America. Um, ah, Patrick right, McCullough. Sorry. But yes, Wayne's, I love that thing with the white, uh, I think there's speed lines on it. He has like aftermarket stuff. It's a cool wee car. Yeah. What about you, Lee? So the baguettes win with us, Connor? The baguettes. I'll give you a guess what mine is. Nova. Nova. I thought you were going to say a Swift. <laughs> Suzuki Swift Sport. I loved my Swift too. Um, I was going to pick Nova, but then I always pick Nova, so that's a bit boring. So I actually settled on... Uh, Focus RS. Focus R- Mark 1 Focus RS. Oh, yes. The kind of purpley blue yeah. multi spokes. That car Bosh. is very you have known your history. Yep. <laughs> if they were thinking Jap, I would probably go for a Nissan Pulsar GTR. It's not oh. GTI. GTR. If you can get the uh, gearboxes well, that's right. carried to them. <laughs> Jakey195 asks Only one for the rest of your life, White Monster or Maguire's Endurance Tire Gel? What's Maguire's for me? Because I don't drink Monster. I can only drink so much Maguire's, like, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> Monster. And to be honest, you could probably use Monster as tire slick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty potent stuff. What was it Gethin said to me at the weekend? You drink so much Monster, your insides will be crystallized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worry about what's inside me too. <laughs> Crack you open like a geode. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky MJC asks... Shout out to Ricky. Ricky didn't know how to... Look for questions. He he said to me, I play football with Ricky on Thursday night and <laughs> I never see the question. This is an Instagram story. So that's his first question. Thanks very much, Ricky. <laughs> oh, hi, Ricky. 
Uh, he says best weekend slash car show away or best memories from a weekend or car show. That's a really difficult question because yeah, there's so many. There's loads. What have you got? Um, Vag event 2013 in Poland and Players Classic last June. Very nice. If I had to narrow it down, it's either one of our trips to America last year where we kind of went over not knowing anybody and made a ton of friends. Or the other one was when we went to Vila Budes with our friend Matt and Lucy. It looked so good. And we didn't know them at all. Like we met you met them uh, we, met them, we met them at Cork. Hey, let's be friends. It was weird. Let's go and to France for four days. <laughs> we all we all lived close together at that time and then we said we should all go away and do a car trip together. You were brought together by job dubshed basically, weren't you? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. It was actually Ricky who got Matt and Lucy into the group. And then we fell in through buying parts off Gethin, I think. And then we all ended up going to Cork one year with you guys. Oh, and you then had so much fun was that year. Oh, it was rough. It was a, <laughs> I, I got my eyes open, put it like that. And then we had we had I think we met them at the petrol station to go meet you guys in on the road trip. And then we kind of became friendly. And then somehow we managed to book a trip to France for a car show after that, like a Evils week after only. With, without having met them again. So with this all whole trip, like was it a week away, Lee? Because we went to Disneyland. We were a week we went to Disney and stuff too. And then like, the, the week before it, we went, we don't know these people. We're going to have to go and have a meal with them or see them or something. So we went to a local restaurant. We were going away in June. So we'd been to Cork the previous year, I think. And then we must have seen them again at Dubshed. Would have been that April. Is that what it was? Yeah. And, and when did you, you book the trip? We must have only booked it April sort of time. Okay. And then... Because it was the May bank holiday that That's we right. went out for dinner because we said we're going away for these people on holiday and we've literally spoken to them. Twice. Twice. We don't really know them. So <laughs> luckily we all got along yeah. and became friends. But and you, and, you and Lucy both drink wine. Matt and I both drink beer. We have similar outlooks in life. A winning we formula. Like to drink and eat food. So it worked well. But it was a fun. It was funny going away with like two people that you have no idea. Because anyway, when you go away with people and you're trying to interact and do different things and you're like, what are these people like? What are they like? You know, but Where, it, worked, it worked quite well. It was where's funny. Where's the banter at? Yeah. Well, the banter was everywhere. But <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of banter we can't even talk about on that. <laughs> oh, dear. Go on ahead, Lee. So much detail in this build. Oh, it's crazy. I know, I keep looking at it. Sorry, in the background, we've got a we've got a new YouTube TV going up. And There's a guy rebuilding an E46. Sorry, go ahead, Lee. Um, AJMVW, Andy, says, So nice to see everyone at Titanic Dubs. Definitely about the people. Cars are just a bonus. Yes, that was very de- true. That was Always. definitely the main takeaway from the show that we had. Definitely. And Colin Dwayne asks, Why does one day of Titanic Dubs take one week to recover from? Because we're old. <laughs> Because you drink a bottle of Prosecco in the middle of the day and you're my age. It's not a good, not good, Colin. Everybody keeps me going about my addiction to Monster. Can I just say, Colin Tweed drinks twice what I drink in Monster. Really? Oh, does he? Oh, he would drink a Monster at nine o'clock at night. Maybe that's the secret. He looks so good and young. And what that are you trying fresh. to say about me? You look good and young too. <laughs> just not as good and young you as Colin. You put your funny face on when you said that, Colin. I was trying to be sincere. I used to be like that with Red Bull. I could have drank a Red Bull and gone straight to bed and it wouldn't have. Lee used to drink four sugar-free Red Bull a day. At least. Yeah. No, no thanks. Not for me. Managed I can't to kick that addiction over lockdown, so that was pretty good. Well done. No, I I don't do energy drinks. Like, maybe, I think I drank three White Monster over Dubshed weekend. And it was mainly because I liked the taste of it. But I was worried about getting, like, addicted to it and having to 
well, very much <laughs> like you. Like, I don't want to be like Nigel. Having to, uh, <laughs> having to drink it to function, so I was like, no, this isn't happening. You wake up in the morning and go, what time can I start drinking? We're in. <laughs> Adam8642 says, I need my 89 Sirocco restored. I don't know if that's like a request for Adam, work I need or... my Mark III restored. I feel your pain. <laughs> I would head up, uh, if you're just looking somebody to paint it and do work, uh, Blair's and Bally Clare. Yes, that's right. WJ Blair. WJ Bears, yeah, do some fantastic They've actually work. just started following us on Instagram. Funny, I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> Hi, guys. I thought they were a very professional uh, outfit to be following us, but fair play to them. Yes. <laughs> no, um, we've had a few friends, Jeff McCook, Lucy, one of the Doug Dubber boys, they got a car done by them as well. Very good work. Yeah, no, Daffy, good job. So, shout out to Blairs. On, just on the topic of those Mark II Sirocco's, I used to hate those until... Oh, I can't remember Shane's surname. Guy on Autostad. Shane McGorry. Yes. Now young guy. Far from Dundalk. Has the, like a turquoise green Mark II Sirocco on RMs from Ridley. Yeah. I love that thing. And I hated those until I seen his and went, that is so nice. Yeah. And then he took it off the road that he worked it and much like my own stuff, it hasn't reappeared. I think he's a, I don't know if he sold it. He's a lovely five-door Mark II as well, a low mileage. Oh, nice. I don't know if he sold it or was thinking of selling it or something. Hard to get stuff they got now. Yeah. Oh, so, Andy Maxwell tagged me in a did you see the red one for sale yesterday? The five door driver? No. Mint. Two oh. grand. Two grand? I'll tag you. For a five door? I'll tag you. Tag me in that, yes. Sorry. Continue with business here, will <laughs> Sort out Connor's driving. Um, B13RRT, Bart asks. Hey, Bart. Your favourite breed of dog? Labrador. Labrador. Not Jack Russell. Not Jack Russell. Yes. <laughs> for, for anyone that wants the inside joke on that, the odd time you hear a dog barking in the background, that's Nigel's Jack Russell. I think if I get sent to hell, it'll be in a room full of Jack Russells. No, Just, he, he's uh, he's going to be the devil. Uh, that dog will be the devil. Yeah. He's going to run the show. I like Labs as well, or um, I put in a vote for an Alsatian. Also true. I just love big dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Big dogs that kind of do their own thing and... Hey guys. Yep. Pat me in the head. <laughs> <laughs> you generally find now? kind of mixed breed dogs are generally the best. I, well, yeah. I find anyway. The back big, end doesn't fall out of them. Fan, really? mm. That's why she likes me. <laughs> <laughs> Emmett, Emmett all 93 as I've uh, come to call him, but That's it's it. actually Emmett, Emmett O'L. <laughs> Um, he says, what's your worst habits? If so, tell us about them. Well, I'm going to let Aunt Lee answer this one <laughs> because she probably knows my worst habits more than I do. Oh dear, this could cause a row. We'll get Nigel's wife in for his worst oh, habits. Don't even... <laughs> she would have a long list. Well, are you going to say mine if I say yours then? You don't have any worst show habits. yours if I show you mine. <laughs> You're saying that through gritted teeth, Connor? <laughs> no. Lee doesn't have any bad habits at all. PM me. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> I will uh, happily admit that I am a picker. I pick scabs and spots oh. and things, and like I, I can't s- not scratch something. I just can't. I have real dry skin on my legs, and I just be scratching at the moment. And I know I shouldn't, and like, but I just can't <laughs> help myself. <laughs> what you're saying is, you're a woman. You can't leave it alone. I'm gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous road there. Um, Connor is very uh, a very loud chewer. Yeah. And he t- chews with his mouth open. No, I, well, I will <laughs> defend myself here. Somehow Lee says that I chew loudly and then I actively chew with my mouth closed, like trying to, and still glares at me. One thing oh, is going to cause a row now. 
when we go to the cinema, Lee is, Lee is the loudest person I've ever seen that eats popcorn. Not even eating the popcorn, taking the popcorn out of the box. It's like, hi, li- hi listeners, I think I'm in a therapy session right now. Could uh, somebody send help? It's like someone is shaking a bag of popcorn at you when Lee is trying to pick one bit of popcorn out of the cinema, and I just want to drop kick her in the face. I'm just trying to drown out the sound of your chewing. Oh. <laughs> right, we need to move on. Quickly, please. We can't do this anymore. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, have we any more left? Yes, we've one more left. Well, then get on there before I punch you in the face. <laughs> you can try, son. Um, last question, I think, from Fogel O'Reilly 26. And he says, perfect six car garage. Oh, there's a six cars. Jeep or so. Well, hopefully the one we're building at the minute, if you're just talking about garage. We'll get more in if you can the them in. <laughs> Six car guards, some sort of pickup, Hilux, um, if I win the lottery I'll take a Tacoma over from America, but Hilux for me, Mark 4 R32 in red. Uh, red? Yeah. They're rare and they're nice. Red, red R32 Mark 4? Rare is rare. Perfect. Ultimate colour on them. I think it was only 44 or something silly mid. Is it yeah, that nice kind of darker red? No, tornado just, red. Just tornado. Oh no. Sorry, it looks like, dog. See a red R32? It looks like a TDI Golf. Yes, exactly. It's so unassuming. Oh, what was the perfect. one that Toner had? Oh, that no, that wasn't. That was like a neon red like or a something. Like red or something, yeah. Because yeah. I was going to say, that was really nice. Yeah. It was nice. But it, that's because it wasn't a standard Mark IV colour. Um, either a yellow or a white DC2 Integra of a K20 swap up there. Right. You're a man that's going from a Mark III that needs welding to a DC2. Yeah, more welding. they're renowned for welding. I love a bit of welding. I'm trying to do this as if I don't own any cars. So that's, you know, otherwise I'll just keep, I actually have six cars, so I'll just keep them. Um, see, the DC2, uh, what else would I have? Uh, Zonda, which I'm not a big supercar guy, but I do like one of the Pagini Zondas, the early ones. 106 GTI or Saxo VTS, and probably something American and big and V8 and smelly. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, something that's just going to smell of fuel and tires when you're doing right. burnouts. Um, fusty or farty? Yeah. No. Yeah, American farts, and I don't care as long as it's in my garage. I'm happy enough. Freedom farts. Yep, <laughs> something like a, you know, like a Hellcat type oh. thing. You know, some uh, like a modern muscle cars that's like 900 horsepower. That'll do me. Yeah, I had Hellcat as a possible maybe on mine. Yeah, that would be my six. That'll change all the time. By the way, what about you, Nigel? Six is a lot of cars. <laughs> I couldn't go into the specifics, but I'd have to have a big wafter of a thing. K and Turbo S, something out there for crushing continents. And then an RS Avant of some description. Down to more realistic cars then, probably. I've always said it, Mark II with an RS5 engine, four-wheel drive. Yep. Or a, what do you call it? Five-cylinder oh, the... TTRS engine. Yeah. Um Edition 30 and candy white with wingbacks. That's my ultimate oh, Mark V. Nice. Very rare to get. Ways back 911 GT3 RS. Mark 1. Got a Mark 1. Well, Mark 1. Yeah. Mark 1, yep. Mark 1 with a 16 valve G60 engine. Yep. One more, one more, one more. Something practical, something off roady. Well, the KN could do that. Ah, true. Five would do me. Five, five, five would do five. me. <laughs> Double up on one of the cars in case you crash <laughs> two, one of them. Two KMs in. <laughs> I'll have an RS4 and an RS6, sure, just to be. Actually, why? Who wouldn't? I've been thinking long and hard about this one, so I decided that I didn't want to mention anything 
that I've already mentioned in these kinds of questions before, because I think it's a running joke that my answer is always either Nova, R32, or Mitsubishi Galant. R2, so. yeah. <laughs> no shame in that. You like, you know what you like, and you like what you know, and whatever the saying is. All them likes. <laughs> likes, likes and subscribe. <laughs> so I've taken it as not something that I already have or have had, and not something that I've mentioned before. So I've narrowed it down to about 11. So I'll try it. <laughs> Read six of them. Read the first six. So I went with, like you, the first one pickup. So I picked an F-150 Lightning. Of course. Because nobody likes a tuna here. That's the same as the, the Fast and the Furious, <laughs> the red one and the first one that Brian O'Connor drives. So then I also wanted something silly and American. So I was a choice between either the Eleanor Mustang. Yeah. Mm, tasty. Or a Corvette Stingray. Sort like of left the field. old ones, yeah. you know, the kind of pointy looking ones with the big wheels. Like a Hot Wheels car. Yeah. Americans are now shouting down the speaker at us going, it's a model. Yep. Blah, 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 blah. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid Irish. <laughs> so that's two. It's either one of those. <laughs> I would swing to the Elner for that one. Yeah, that would be mine. Because I'm a man. In green. <laughs> um, third would be an RS5. Yep. Like around the kind of 2018 sort of era. And yep. I know that's weird for me to go for a really modern car, but when those came out, um, the the promotional pictures was a green one, like a real vibrant kind of yeah. emerald green. I can't remember the actual I, name I have of the it. press package. Oh my God. And it's actually, it was like a cage theme or something, wasn't it? Because mm. the brochure for it is wrapped. Oh, uh, yes. So it is. They're such a nice car. The, so, the green yeah. in them's incredible. Yes, please. So that's number three. Uh, and then I wanted Defender. A, Sort of hot, hot hatchy no. kind of thing, but it couldn't be a Nova, obviously. <laughs> so I had either a Lancia Delta Integrale. Yep. Such a great taste. Or just because I felt like I should have a Volkswagen of some description in the stable, uh, Lupo GTI. Also nice. we seen a red one at the Titanic Dub show that was totally standard. Did you see it with the Lupo yeah. number it was, it was actually parked beside Lupo's and Ups, wasn't it? It was, it was an Up GTI as well, yeah. yeah. And so many of them have been, I don't want to say ruined, but ruined. Bastardized is what yeah. you're for. Stuff that I do to cars, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's Modified. refreshing. Yeah. Personalized. And it's refreshing to see something that's clean and original like that in that kind of form. But realistically, the Integral is probably going to win that battle, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Sorry, Lupo. You were close. Into the sea. Um, Four, because I need something Japanese. Yep. R35 GTR. Good choice. I was going to pick R34. R32. I don't there are R32, yeah, but R32. the R35 no. is a good car. You know why I'm saying that? I just think they're better looking. But you don't follow Mark Looney? Mr. Yes. Drift. Yeah. Did you see what he said about the R35s this yeah, week? Yeah, that they're not the car, like they're not the driver's car, people imagine. They don't shine a light on the R32 or 33. Yeah. And he would have driven all those things like. Sorry, Lee. I apologies. love the look of the R34s. <laughs> but the kind of, the reason I went for R35 was that I remember when they came out thinking wow yeah. like they're evil supercar killers for for half yeah. quarter of the money maybe like and no, not anymore unfortunately remember nitrogen filled tires and all because yeah. the yeah. speeds they could do and i remember pulling up alongside one in the nova and like the nova was slightly lowered but obviously it was a small little car and my shoulder was like the top of this guy's wheel it was just like holy fuck look at that <laughs> yeah they're huge they're such a big car and they're just like, you can do mad things and they can handle ridiculous horsepower and stuff, I think. Just, they're pretty cool. 
so that's that. You had Hellcat on your list, so I'm going to take that off my list. Okay. So I can put one of my other ones as, because if you had yours, I could just borrow it. I like how it works. That's good. <laughs> so uh, number five then is an Audi Quattro, the short wheelbase, yep. like rally ones. You are. Six, not a car, but a VMAX trike. There you go. I don't I'd, know what that looks like. If I was, I knew there was like motorbikes in this, I'd have filled mine with bikes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Enjoy the rain, Connor. I like it. <laughs> Is that us for the questions then? Yes. Excellent. As always, folks, thanks very much for getting involved, sending us questions. They're great fun. I do take them serious, as we all do, and try and think our way through them. And give. Sorry, before we wrap it up, a uh, big congratulations to Ryan Cudlip. Yes, actually. Uh, I was chatting to him today and he had a bit of good fortune. He did indeed. He Donna Clark is he put in his Donna words. Clark, that's now Oxford Dictionary phrase. Do- Donna Clark. Donna Clark, he was a raffle competition winner. He was indeed. He got himself a lovely Atlas Grey 20 valve turbo golf. Yeah, uh, Mark II, a 20 valve swap out of England. Yeah. And hopefully it's people common. like those guys that make me, uh, give me faith in those raffles. Yeah. I usually don't. <laughs> so. We basically have three listeners now that have won raffle competitions. We have Ross from Anakin, won a Emla Yellow, isn't it Emma? Uh, Dakar, Dakar Yellow, Yellow sorry. E30 or E46. E46, yeah. Um, Clark won a 400 brake R Wagon. Yeah. And Ryan has won a Mark II Golf. Why do, we not, why do we not win anything? Well, I'm constantly spending £400 a month, so don't, don't, don't know why. <laughs> you know. I, I stopped spending money. <laughs> Over lockdown, I spent so wild. much money oh, on them. Like <laughs> On that topic, sorry, this is going to be a really long episode. Um, Our Kings, did you see what they're giving away next? No, I've stopped looking. A full race truck with a D1 drift car. I'm going to have to start looking again. <laughs> Luckily, we have a friend who's a lorry driver, so... There we go. Get a <laughs> staff and employed. Like a full kitted out race truck. That's ridiculous. Living quarters, blah, blah, blah. What's the car? Do you know? Uh, Japanese. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> I, I like Japanese. I think it's an S14. I'm not 100%. It's either an S14 or Sylvia. That's Mendel. Here, fair play. I like it's a full D1 spec. Is this D1? Or yeah. ADC? Like, yeah, it could be any Whatever. Of um, with a RB26 in it. Jeepers, oh. That'll sell out in minutes. Yeah, that will. Some, I think it's some, some. $24.99 and there's... Is it $24.99? Some 14-year-old's going to win that. Oh, I. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So, yeah. Sorry. Yep. Let's wrap but this up, Connor. As always, folks, <laughs> thanks for getting involved. We do enjoy it. And once again, thanks for listening. It's great that people do actually listen to us and have a bit of fun. And it's refreshing to meet people out and about and get chatting to them. As Nigel has said before, contact us on Instagram. Messages personally are on the reload page. At- not, not at 11 o'clock at night now. I'll probably be awake, so it'll be fine anyway. <laughs> um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Reload Podcast. I personally am at Connor McCann. I'm at VW Boy. I'm at Maxwell House 46. And we'll see you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye.